Good evening. Welcome to Pigeon Post. Uh, once again, the midnight edition. The dishwasher's running, and we're in John 12. And I want to ask you a question. If you knew that you would die in one week, let's just say hypothetically, if you knew somehow that you were going to die within one week, um, how would that change things in your life, how you live that week, who you talked to, what you talked about, how would that change things? What, what would you do if you knew that you only had a week to live? I think our world um, pushes the idea of having a bucket list, which... Um, I'm not necessarily knocking the idea. If you have a bucket list, uh, don't get mad at me. <laughs> have your bucket list. Um, but I just want us to consider what does Jesus do? He's got a week to live here. Um, and it seems that he's really in touch with that, with that truth. He knows what's going down. And where does, where does he find himself? What does he find himself doing? Who is he with? Um, what is he saying? Because John gives us the most information about that last week of Jesus' life. Um, maybe in contrast with a bucket list, Jesus has a bucket of fruit list. Um, Jesus wants to bear fruit. Um, he wants life imparted through himself into his disciples. Um, maybe as we see death coming near, um, maybe not within the span of a week, but let's say we, you know, as everyone thinks about death and what's coming up, and uh, maybe it's not necessarily a bucket list, not an excitement thing, but maybe uh, we just want comfort. We want to be made comfortable. Uh, we want to have a good retirement plan as the end draws near. But Jesus doesn't seem to be thinking of his comfort or retirement at this point. So I would say he has an enrichment plan. That he wants to get the soil as rich as possible. He wants all of the conditions to be right for his disciples to believe on him and to to endure to the end. Um, he knows it's going to be hard for them. Even though he knows he's going to resurrect, he's not out of touch with life right now. And um, so, yeah, I think if I, if I had to answer that question and I had to look at Scripture and just think, what would I do if I had one week to live? <clears throat> or if I knew that me, or you could turn it around and say, what if you knew that one of your loved ones only had one week to live? I think thinking about death is one of the best things that we can do. Um, I don't think it's morbid at all. I think it's a reality that we're going to face and that we need to know um, how to die well and what's going to happen when we die and on what basis we'll be judged. And Jesus addresses all those things here in this wonderful Gospel of John. But 
if I had to pinpoint two things, I'd say that if we think about death, um, it helps us to focus on what really matters because our loves seem to come to the surface when we know that we're going to have to leave somebody that we love. Um, so we, it's almost as if we think more clearly when we contemplate death because we see our priorities and our values. We know um, that there's no nothing to be extracted from them. They're just going to be left for what they are. Um, so I think a focus is in view here. Jesus, obviously, being sinless, has the greatest focus and knows exactly what's going on. But even the people around him, some of the people around him, seem to um, be clued in that people are trying to murder him. Um, it's almost as if he's... Um, you know, he's among his own people, but his own people didn't receive him, right? So think of like a missionary in a land that's very hostile to, to missionaries, um, maybe getting death threats and stuff like that. Um, that would be really scary for a lot of us. Um, but that focus is there, even in the midst of that. And then the other thing, you'd think the focus would make you more careful and more um, afraid to make mistakes. But there's also a sense in which if we knew we were going to die, that we would live with abandon. We would, we would sink all of our money and time, um, just sink it into exactly what we know and love and, and know will bear fruit. And so, um, just trying to help us put, put ourselves into the story as it's six days before Passover. So here we go, diving into John 12. The Gospel of John, Chapter 12 Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead whom he raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there. Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Therefore Mary took a pound of ointment of pure nard, very precious, and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the ointment. Then Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, one of his disciples, who would betray him, said, Why wasn't this ointment sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? Now he said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, and having the money box used to steal what was put into it. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you don't always have me. A large crowd, therefore, of the Jews learned that he was there. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests conspired to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him many of the Jews went away 
and believed in Jesus. On the next day, a great multitude had come to the feast. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus, having found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Don't be afraid, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king comes, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. The multitude, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead was testifying about it. For this cause also the multitude went and met him, because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, See how you accomplish nothing? Behold, the world has gone after him. Okay, so we see that Mary, what she is thinking with what must have been a lot of pressure around her, you know, it's common knowledge that the Jews and the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees want to kill Jesus. In fact, it says right before we get into chapter 12, now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. So it's almost as if they're harboring a fugitive here. They know people want to kill Jesus. But Jesus just raised someone from the dead. They already loved Jesus even before he did that. But just think of all the the thoughts and emotions that are going through their mind, they could get in trouble too. We know that they were putting, the Pharisees were putting people out of the temple or out of the synagogue, disfellowshipping from them, possibly persecuting them. Um, and so Mary and Martha and Lazarus are, are committed to, to Christ. They have him um, for this uh, feast or dinner Um, which may have been at their house, may have been somewhere else. We're not really sure. There's several stories like this in the Gospels, and there's disagreement on whether they're talking about the same event or even the same person doing it, just FYI. But I think we should just read John's account for for what it is. Um, He just told us that Lazarus was raised from the dead, and now this is happening um, six days before the Passover. Um, look at, we mentioned living with abandon. Mary lives with abandon here. She takes the best of what she has and she gives it to Jesus. And Jesus' feet <laughs> were the feet of any man at that point in time. Dirty, filthy. Think about what they're walking through when they're walking through the streets. Um, they would get their feet washed. And yet, she 
takes those filthy feet and pours this precious ointment with this strong smelling, apparently great fragrance um, that fills the whole house. And she, she wipes his feet with her hair. Um, this is just really a worshipful act on her part. And, and Jesus says that she is doing it for, or she's keeping it for the day of his burial. And he, he commends, commends her worship of himself. So interestingly, the chief priests want to kill Lazarus. I'm not sure they were thinking quite right there. Lazarus just got raised from the dead. But I guess they think, well, if we kill Lazarus at the same time that we killed Jesus, then Jesus won't be able to raise Lazarus from the dead again. Right? I, I, I suppose that's what they're thinking. Um, the next day, this crowd comes and takes palm branches. So that's where we get Palm Sunday from. And they say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So they're quoting scripture here. In fact, they're quoting Psalm 118, which I wanted to read some of that, starting in verse 14. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful voice, uh, beautiful uh, verse? I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. That's a good verse to live with eternity in mind, to live with wanting to bear fruit. I'm going to tell people what the Lord has done in my life. That's just awesome. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And then it, it goes on to quote, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But that context, that whole passage of Psalms, Guys, the Psalms are about Jesus. We need to look for the gospel in the Psalms. We need to look for Christ in the Psalms. Because the Psalm is something that Christ sang while he was on earth. And it's something that he perfectly fulfills as the son of David. He fulfills the Psalms. And the Psalms are also for us to know that they're fulfilled through Christ on our behalf. So open to me the gates of righteousness. That's Christ. He is the gates of righteousness. We enter through them and we give thanks to the Lord. That song, This is the Day that the Lord has Made, 
uh, that little song my dad and mom sang, we sang all the time growing up. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. I will rejoice, I will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. Now, what day is that talking about? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. I believe that verse is talking about the day of the resurrection or the day of that time of the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's a great song to sing on like an Easter Sunday or any Sunday where we celebrate the resurrection. Celebrate that every Sunday. This is the day that the Lord has made. It's the day of salvation. The day of Christ dying for our sins. Opening the gates of righteousness that we might enter in through them. Awesome stuff. And yet the crowd is quoting that, but we're going to see that they still don't really believe in their hearts. The disciples didn't understand what was going on. They're not going to understand until after the resurrection. And John tells us that the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he has done this sign. So we see really an unhealthy obsession with signs and wonders here in John. And I think it should be a real warning for us if that's the kind of Christianity that we look for, that we're looking for signs and wonders. Jesus is the sign. The sign points to him. The sign, the ultimate sign, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We have to live in light of the gospel. And then lastly in this part, the Pharisees say this really weird thing to each other. They say, look, you're gaining nothing Right? They're, they're kind of like, um, they're kind of telling themselves, what are we accomplishing here? We're not getting anything done here. We're trying to get rid of this guy. And they say, look, the world has gone after him. But the irony here is that Christ is going after the world. It looks like the world's going after him. All these people are giving lip service to Jesus. But that's not what's happening. What's happening is Christ is going after the world. And in response to that, the gospel will go out to all the world after his resurrection. The Gospel of John, Chapter 12, Continued. Now there were certain Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. These therefore came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew came with Philip, and they told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Most certainly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit.
He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this time. But I came to this time for this cause. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of the sky, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the multitude who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice hasn't come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the prince of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. But he said this, signifying by what kind of death he should die. The multitude answered him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ remains forever. How do you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus therefore said to them, Yet a little while the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, that darkness doesn't overtake you. He who walks in the darkness doesn't know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become children of light. Jesus said these things, and he departed and hid himself from them. But though he had done so many signs before them, yet they didn't believe in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this cause they couldn't believe. For Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes, and he hardened their heart, lest they should see with their eyes, and perceive with their heart, and would turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, even many of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees they didn't confess it, so that they wouldn't be put out of the synagogue, for they loved men's praise more than God's praise. Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me may not remain in the darkness. If anyone listens to my sayings and doesn't believe, I don't judge him. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and doesn't receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word that I spoke will judge him in the last day. For I spoke not from myself, but the Father who sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. The things, therefore, which I speak, even as the Father has said to me, 
so I speak. Okay, so we're coming to the end of a section of John, at the end of chapter 12. And John very nicely bookends it with quotes from Isaiah. And he quoted Isaiah in chapter 1. So we see this sort of bookend by John, and we'll talk about those quotes in a second. But you notice that uh, when the Pharisees said, look, the world has gone after him, then immediately it says uh, there were some Greeks, and the Greeks wanted to see Jesus. So we've seen Jesus uh, tell the good news to the Samaritan woman, but now even the Gentiles, as they're called, the non-Jewish nations, are ready to come in to the kingdom. And Jesus knows that, wait a minute, I have to die first. This mission needs to be accomplished. I need to die and rise again, and then the gospel is going to go out to the nations. So that is sort of like bubbling over. It's like waiting to happen. Um, Jesus explains that the grain of wheat has to fall into the earth and die in order to bear fruit. So once again, he, he's not making a bucket list. He's making a, a bucket of fruit list. <laughs> doesn't exactly roll off the tongue there, but I'm working on it. <laughs> so these nations are coming in, and in verse uh, 32, it says, When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. That verse doesn't mean that everyone's going to get saved, but John tells us that it's to show what kind of death he's going to die. I think he's referring to the lifted up part. And even they knew uh, that when he says lifted up, um, that that means death. Um, but drawing the all people, um, Look around the world, the gospel is going out to every place that you can think of. Um, I was just talking to a friend tonight who is feeling called to go to a foreign country. Um, and that, that's just something that God did in his heart a few years ago. And it's awesome, because when Jesus is lifted up, he will draw people of every nation to himself. Um, so that's why we preach the gospel. We preach Christ crucified, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And we preach that you're saved by faith through grace, and that not of yourselves. So I, I keep mentioning this, but it's so clear in John that works have nothing to do with it. Sacraments have nothing to do with it. Um, church attendance has nothing to do with it. That you have to come to Christ and Christ alone. And the, you can tell that the people who mix their belief with other things are not getting it. They're not born again. This has to be a belief that is solely resting on Christ and trusting Him. Uh, Jesus underlines that. He says, if you love your life, you're going to lose it. You have to hate your life in this world in order to keep it. If you want to serve me, you've got to follow me. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So there's this complete change, this complete 180, this real true change that happens in a person when they follow Jesus. They love him even more than their own life. Um, so John tells us once again, as we've been seeing, that though Jesus had done so many signs, they still didn't believe. 
And the question is, why not? And this is where we get into stuff that some of us are probably uncomfortable with. And, and it says that they could not believe, okay? So take note of where John is quoting. He's quoting Isaiah 53 in verse 38, and he's quoting Isaiah 6 in verse 40. Okay, in verse 53, um, that is a real unfolding of the crucifixion. And it says in that verse that it was God's will to crush him, meaning the Messiah, Jesus. So the reason why people aren't believing is because he had to be crucified. It, it was in the plan of God that, it, that God would utilize these hardened hearts, this sinful act, so that Jesus would be crucified, so that the world might be saved through him. Um, the thing I think to underline here is that this is not plan B. This is plan A. Plan A is for Jesus to die for the sin of the world and to rise again and for salvation to go out to the nations. And guess what? Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. As we're going to see, as we see, as we look around us in the world, that mission is accomplished, and that mission is still happening. Uh, one really cool thing to note, Isaiah, um, verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. So if you do go back and read Isaiah 53, as I recommended in, I think, the last podcast or the one before that, um, check out Isaiah 6 as well, because that's Jesus that, that, John is, that Isaiah is seeing. John says, no one has ever seen God at any time, but that the Son has revealed him. Or the Word has revealed him. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He didn't start existing when he was born as a baby. He has always been the Son of God. And he's sitting on the throne in that vision in Isaiah 6. Really, really cool. And let's see here. Lastly, once again, Jesus is just so bold with abandon and yet focused. He said he cries out and gives his message again. And he says that this message, if you're not receiving this message, it's going to judge you on the last day. Meaning he's going to hold you accountable. He's going to hold me accountable, all, the whole world accountable for either receiving the light that comes through him or wanting to stay in the darkness because we love our evil deeds. So I encourage you to turn from the darkness to the light of the world, and that's Jesus. And, and one reason why I'm encouraging you right at this point in particular is because chapters 13 through 17 is for the church, and I want it to be for you. And I hope that it is, because this is one of the most beautiful last words slash prayers that it's the most beautiful thing that you'll ever see. John 13 through 17. So we're about to enter a new section of the book of John. And um, I hope you'll stick with us. Thanks for listening. And um, have a great, have a great day.
This is the day that the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. Bye.